0: Hey, it's your host Omar, and welcome to the Curiosity Project. Today you are joining a conversation I had with Fred Van Malier. He is the third-generation CEO of Jay Cortez, one of the largest and longest-standing family-run cigar companies in Europe. I entered the conversation a fan. Oliva, their flagship brand, has quickly become a personal favorite of mine, so for me, I was very excited to talk to the man behind the product. What I initially thought would be a chat about cigars quickly morphed into a personal exploration into family, values, the struggles of business, and managing a generational legacy. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey Fred, how are you doing? Very good, and you, Namar? I'm doing very well where are you by the way where Where are you located i'm in uh in belgium currently
1: uh and uh I'm born and raised here and i had uh some meetings this afternoon in uh in the region close to my dad's house and and so i passed to say hello to him and uh and i'm here now specifically at his house you know i mean uh, doing this amazing so, uh, so it's quite funny There is a lot of history around here as well <laughs>
0: That, that's kind of cool i mean do you um uh, I, i'm guessing that this is the house that you grew up in right well yeah uh,
1: it's the region i grew up in my dad only moved here 12 years ago and oh, okay. um and be- but before that we lived very very close by from here and now i live now a half way or half an hour driving from here and close to ghent because my wife was from ghent and so for my dad this is like far away you know i mean it's ah. like when i said first i will move to again it was like you will live so far from the factory how do you there? <laughs> <laughs> and uh but then uh, okay i said like no no sorry i will do that and uh, and again is a great city and here we're more uh, remote you know i mean it's very very nice area you know i mean uh, mm. more farmland and things like that but it's a it's a yeah, it's a nice area to be in, but to live now, I'm very happy we're close to the city. So it's a nice combination. But I still jump in. I had to say hi to my dad very often. So. My mom unfortunately passed away last year. Oh, she was a wonderful lady. Yeah, but thank you. But I mean, it's it's, it's how life goes, you know? I mean, and, and you learn to accept life when you do this. And then we just try to carry on her positiveness, I mean, in our lives and uh, but so i mean that 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 also is another reason to make sure that from time to time you come and say hello and uh, so doing this over here uh, like i said had that little uh, historical
0: and emotional touch as well so funny yeah that makes sense I that quite- makes sense i mean i've 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 been fairly lucky and i think this is probably age related right i'm not i'm not i'm not super old um i'm i'm still very very young i'm in my i'm in my mid to late 20s so i haven't really experienced a lot of loss so i've been i've been quite fortunate in that way the the biggest loss I've had, I think, was was probably recently the loss of my grandmother. Mm. Um, but I, I I wonder how it's totally unrelated to what we're going to talk about. But I'm I'm mm-hmm. interested to see your 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 perspective. How do you deal with loss and 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 grief? Do you think you deal with it in a, in a in a, in an effective way?
1: Um, I think so. Uh, look, like I said, you know, I mean, being. Yeah, the, the, I'm very grateful and I'm very yeah. thankful. I mean, I'm uh, much older than you are. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in my You don't look form. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
2: Uh, okay. Uh, I'm in my what, cr- what creams 40. are you using? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Botox. You know, no Cream can do a lot. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I made it a little bit dark here so that I Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I a, a bad view of that. No, no, I'm at just my I just turned 40 last year in the, in December. Oh, wow. So, um, so, in a certain way, I mean, I had my 41st years of my life were were wonderful. And and I, I'm born, I'm the little one of three kids, uh, mm. but really the little Benjamin, because, I mean, the little spoiled one, as they say. I don't know if it's really true, but, okay, sure. uh, my sisters are 10 and 14 years older than I. So, I really mm. was unexpected. I mean, uh, okay, but they accepted me. and um, And then, you know, I mean when you live and then you become 16 18 years old and you see like the 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 parents of your friends are like 10 15 years younger than yours it uh yeah you sometimes think like oh my god will they ever meet my wife will they ever meet my kids you know and uh, and so i'm very grateful that my mom you know who gave me a lot you know she uh, she was at home she really I, I grew up with her, uh, that she was able to meet my, I often say the joke, my first wife, but it's still my wife. Uh, yep. <laughs> but that she, met my, that she met my wife, that she met my kids. And uh, and okay, maybe the youngest one is only four and will not really remember who she was. But just the fact that I could, uh, that I say like, look, this is kind of the complete thing she saw that I could make. It was the, the, the best way to say goodbye. And at the end, she had Alzheimer's. The last year was uh, was quite tough. You had that COVID period, which didn't help as well. You know, I mean, and uh, and and if you saw her at the end, we really had time to say goodbye. I had the luck that, I mean, yeah. Even though the communication was not huge, we really had like intense feelings. I mean, in between the two of us, to say goodbye. Even when she passed away, I, I even had some time with her at home. Still, that was very very special. And um, and. I don't know, of course, it's somebody you miss, but you feel like in a lot of moments, and I don't know if it's like, a yeah, kind of believe, but whatever it is, yeah. it makes me happy. And that's the most important thing I would say is, is that, you know, I mean, when things happen and, and, and the sun is shining, when you do something or you're outside and you have like that stroke of luck of something, of a puzzle that just meets you know what i mean mm. uh, then i often think like oh my god i think she's here somewhere you know and so you feel you feel that and 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 maybe it's still part of the yeah, of the process that i feel like that but i have to say it doesn't it's not that i'm sad or 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 crying a lot it's more like damn if you would be here and we could hug it would be wonderful mm. but i still feel you're here so No, I mean, uh, and, and, and again, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's not when somebody passes away, but I think, because I think we really had an intense and active life and way of communicating, uh, my mother and I, so we were always open to each other. So it's not that I feel like, oh, damn it. I, this is a story that I never heard of her. This is something that I missed. Uh, no, I think that we, we have exchanged everything we had to exchange and, 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 but it's, but it is true that the moment that somebody is leaving you, yeah, you, yeah, and of course your mother. You know, I mean, it, this is like I had the it's most tough one. The, the most holy person in, in your life, or, or a person that that gave you a lot. So it's you're really two of the same most of the time. I don't know, but me and my mom, we had really same views on life and on happiness in life. And then you think like, oh my god, there not everybody is like that. So let's really, really keep that. I mean, for me, positiveness, smile, happiness. I mean, enthusiasm. You know, I mean. She wasn't afraid to dance on the table when there was a party, and, yeah. and a lot of people still remember me about that. And it's uh, a, yeah, it's like having even if the, of course she had uh, her manners, you know. I mean, it's not that she was a table dancer, but, <laughs> but when, it just when the momentum was there and the atmosphere was there, she could give that little kick that made a little party into a huge party. I feel, and uh, and and that's something that I. I still remember like, yeah, you see smiling faces around her. So still Mm -hmm. now, you know, when you talk about her, many people are smiling. And I think that's the most, uh, one of the most beautiful things I think you can give to other people. So I I feel okay with it. Thanks for the question.
0: No, no, no worries at all. I mean, you know, I I think for me, it kind of talks on a a, a few levels. First and foremost, I mean, I, I, I remember a few years ago, I was really passionate about kind of Alzheimer's programs. I mean, Alzheimer's is a real it's a real bitch um, you know it it's one of those extraordinary illnesses that just strips everything that you are away from you you know it's it's a real a, a, a real uh, gosh i mean it's up there for me um, you 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 mentioned kind of going back to your uh, to your to your to your dad's house uh, my friend said something quite interesting to me he said uh, whenever he feels as though he's going down the wrong path uh he's become his behavior is becoming a little bit destructive or something like that uh so his family still live in the house he grew up in so he said i'll go back to my parents house and go to my childhood bedroom and sitting in that room reminds me of who that kid was and how i'm mistreating that child today Amazing. so i thought that was uh, that was an extraordinary extraordinary thing you know i've never heard that before
2: no
1: no no indeed 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 Okay, it's, I, it's not really what I'm, I'm, I'm here next to a little child, but and it's not that I yeah, yeah, exactly. like <laughs> <laughs> feel how it was. But, uh, but okay, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I can't imagine. I mean, it's, it's a way indeed, but it's still when your parents are there, it's still a, a, a moment to, uh, to enjoy and to take that part of the past and still now with my dad, you know, I mean, you still have these, these kind of, of conversations and uh, we, we never, we get along well. So that's, uh, yeah,
0: you cherish the time.
1: Yes, yes clearly you know travels a lot with me by the way uh to to nicaragua or to dominican or to sri lanka and 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 still now he does that's that's precious you know i mean
0: i can imagine yeah no it makes it it makes a lot of sense i mean before i ask you about kind of what it is that you do there there was a a kind of a subject that uh, i was talking to a friend about uh, i think it was yesterday evening uh, which was the idea of how optimism uh is is important for for a businessman Uh, for some for an entrepreneur or businessman someone who's running a company having a natural optimistic attitude uh to life is quite important uh what do you think about that would you agree
1: i fully agree Mm. uh and uh, but it's of course it's so um it's so funny and maybe it's because i'm optimistic that i can't believe that you can't learn it you know what i mean but uh, mm-hmm. but i have i really think that optimism not only for entrepreneurship also when starting a family when having kids when when grow up kids when living in general when having seeing the world i mean in front of you and seeing a future yeah. optimism is in my opinion something that helps for sure and conquering challenges because you see a mountain and, and, yeah, you can look up and say, like, oh, my God, that will never be possible. But after two hours climbing, you can still look up and say, like, it's impossible. Or you can look downwards and say, like, whoa, look what I did already. And mm. that's a part of optimism, I think, that you meet also in entrepreneurship day by day. Often when I'm when I'm... Uh, down whatever when you when you're everybody has a moment of of unhappiness or things that happen or that struck you that make you unhappy and that can be pure business-wise numbers-wise this can be for me i mean surely people-wise you know i mean good people are going for another challenge and they're and leaving mm-hmm. your company those are tough moments to, to me you know i mean and and so at those moments you really have to i mean yeah, you're smashed to the ground you have to stand up again and and, and go on to me, sometimes like looking back and I often, when I doubt and I say, like, oh my God, if, uh, am I doing the right thing? You know, I mean, yeah. maybe I'm doing it wrong. You know, I mean, what's happening here? Then often I say like, okay, Fred, let's go back five years. Let's, yeah. uh, what year were we? Uh 2017. And then you look a little bit in your uh, yeah, memory agenda, your pictures on your iPhone or your, your little, your, your agenda on your PC, whatever. And, yeah. and you try to memorize in 2017, where were we? And then you see like, oh my God, a lot happened. Mm, (laughs) Uh, It's totally different. A lot of things improved or better or, I mean, or yeah, or different and and went into the right direction. I mean, if I see how I look to live or how things were then, then now it's much better. So that then gives me a lot of energy again, you know, I mean, to move on. So I think, again, you know, I mean, optimism, I sometimes have a discussion as well with my... With with, with people around you, with friends, or with with my wife, or blah blah blah, about indeed optimism. And say, I mean, sometimes you hear left and right a comment like, "Yeah, okay. Lucky you are optimistic." That's like what the (laughs) fuck? You can be optimistic too. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's not so difficult, you know. I mean, and yeah, it's a, it's it's great to tell it because it's a, it's in my opinion a, a key factor of having a great life and and. And not seeing problems in things, but opportunities, and and it all sounds so so stupid and so boring to say like these words, but, but truly, I believe that it it, it indeed uh, may again making people smile as part of optimism as well. It's it's like having fun at moments, but also be able to be serious, but then still yeah, seeing positive things. No, I'm a I'm a big fan of seeing the glass half full and not half empty. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I. Th- I th- you know i'm 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 exactly the same um you know i've always been a big believer in kind of you know not only not only as an entrepreneur uh, and the reason why i was talking about it from an entrepreneur thing is cuz i was talking to a founder um and his partner is extremely pessimistic extremely <laughs> pessimistic everything is a problem everything is unsolvable everything is this i mean i'm surprised how they get along to be totally honest with you but, um, you know, I'm a big advocate of just in life, I think, things are so much easier to deal with, problems are easier to solve, um, you know, opportunities are more easily available. Uh, the the mm-hmm. one thing that I always, uh, the one thing that my mentor at university used to say to me is pessimism is the ultimate barrier to opportunity. <laughs>
2: um
0: and i thought that was a really fascinating thing you know regardless of what opportunities come your way if you're a pessimist you're always going to say oh but if what if this goes wrong what if that goes wrong mm-hmm. you know oh no this you know i'm skeptical i'm this i'm that so uh and when you were talking but, about your mum it sounded like she was kind of an optimist and i'm you yeah. know I, I i i think that's something that you guys share
1: mm-hmm. No, know it's true but again you know i mean i'll uh, I love to challenge myself, I love to, I mean, in, in general, you know, I mean, you, you, you try to look uh, around every corner as well to understand what why people do things and why things happen. And uh, I think it's, um, I, I'm very lucky to have that, that indeed maybe kind of smile or optimistic part in myself, but it's also good. To have around me, let's say, I mean, not pessimistic is maybe the bad word, but I mean, sometimes people that that are more realistic or that dare to also challenge, let's say, ideas that I would jump on everything, it helped me a lot as well, you know, so I know that I have to also sometimes have people who put a mirror in front of me and say like, hey, Fred, are you sure? I mean, you said, that, or you do this and you do this. And most of the time when I'm sure about something, they don't really change my mind and blah, blah, but mm. it, it, They held me sometimes of, of maybe jumping too quick and too cold water and waiting until the temperature was a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but okay, I mean, no, uh, oh, yeah, it's... Uh, life is beautiful let's say that way and let's uh, even though there are a lot of problems and issues in the world and and whatever we go we go through i think we have to try to treat it that way
0: i agree i couldn't agree more uh and i think on that actually uh fred why don't you take a minute and kind of you know introduce yourself to the audience uh who are you and what is it that you do <laughs>
1: uh it's funny i'm now thinking if you don't know anything about me what you would you think he's <laughs> <optimistic. laughs> like i don't know i mean uh, helping the frogs over the street to make sure that there is no but i'm not only a <laughs> saver <laughs> i'm also uh no i'm uh, uh i'm uh yeah a little uh, a little um Lucky born I mean uh, sometimes they say uh, a happy sperm you know I mean no I'm born in a warm nest, a nest that makes since three generations uh, cigars. My uh, grandfather started making cigars in Belgium uh, and um, and on my mother's side, my grandparents were farmers and uh, and then but both of them you know we come from a region that was more a farming region and, um, okay. and we're in the let's say after war period a lot of people started doing business. We're very, very hard-working people. And, um, right. and our families from both sides were very, very hardworking and, um, and really went to yeah, build businesses in, in, in different things and some bigger, more special than the others, but all at least with the same passion and the same things. And from my uh, father's side, it were the cigars. So um, you have to imagine we're, we're late 20s. Uh, in between two wars uh, in Belgium here, and uh, you still had all the colonies that were still, let's say, existing actively. Mm. So uh, so my grandfather was a sextant in the church, so he played the piano, blah, blah. But yeah, mm. you know, you can imagine, 1910, 15, 20, I mean, uh, the church, the popularity was going down, so the money you could earn there was less than it was let's say 50 years before that. So he was like sure. on a job that was a little bit dying out. And then he started a little shop that sold uh, all different spices from, let's uh, from, oh, say, all over the world and in a small, small sure. town. And then he also sold cigars. And I don't know what, because I never met my grandfather. He passed away before I, 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 I was born. And anyhow, even my father cannot answer that. But at a certain moment, I mean, he decided to say like, hey, I sell cigars here. You know, why wouldn't I make cigars myself? And at that moment in Belgium, I think there were over 200. I think in Belgium and the Netherlands together, uh, which is still a small area, there were like 400 cigar manufacturers.
0: So it was, Is that right? So it's a yeah, high concentration. It, it was a high concentration.
1: And I don't say it was like the breweries, but almost every town had its little cigar maker, manufacturer. Damn. But okay, that was okay. a lot was still done by hand. Tobacco came often from Indonesia, because uh, uh, Indonesia was a colony of the Netherlands, and, and that's yep. how they made cigars, blah, blah. And, um, and okay, my grandfather was uh, clearly, I mean, a uh, smart man, hardworking, day and night, because he made eight children, which was quite an, oh, uh, an effort, too, not only for him, but surely for my yeah. grandma. And um, of which my mum was the youngest of eight. So when my father was born, his father was 50 years old. So big age differences Whoa. as well. And uh, very Catholic. My my uncle went to Congo as a missionary, and then uh, whatever. And then they continued with the cigar business. And then my um, my uncles and my father, so five of them continued in that. My grandfather started with a little brand, but okay, then they let go that little brand. And when my dad entered the business, we didn't really have a brand. We sold quite some cigars in Belgium already at that moment. A lot less of manufacturers were there already. You know, I mean, we are talking now in the 50, 60, 70 maybe, but nothing, not more than that. And, mm-hmm. um, and bit by bit, they start selling all over Belgium. And when my dad entered, he really got, uh, he looked, he said like, okay, what are my brothers doing? And one brother was uh, buying tobacco. Another brother was doing the, the the sales in Belgium. Another one was leading the manufacturing. said so like, if I want to get along with them, I better look for something that they don't do. <laughs> so they were not keen of marketing. We didn't have a brand. So one thing he tried to focus on was branding and trying to have a brand in our in our company. And secondly, mm-hmm. exports. You know, he said like, when I would start selling abroad, I will not, uh, my brothers will not be angry because we will just sell more. And my brother who sells in Belgium, I'm not against him. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's how he started in 65 and, um, and made a fantastic ride. I think, I mean, uh, I will never be able to do what my dad did, you know I mean? Because it was, I mean, tremendous and, and, and amazing. Uh, how uh, how he together with his brothers but after a certain period in time you know I mean he was like leading and bringing in he was like maybe the most entrepreneurial and I love to think right. about these things because you think about the 20s entrepreneurial yeah my grandfather had a startup it was a startup in cigar making you know I mean if you compare yeah. it with days with these tech startups you know I mean I mean there were many and many who failed but I mean some who succeeded and then the second generation. Continued with that startup and made like uh, call it the scale up today, whatever.
2: Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Going much faster, you know. I mean, then we're talking about fifty years, you know. I mean, in between the startup and the scale up, Uh, but but it's still a little bit that time to grow bit by bit, step by step, and then making every year a little bit cigar more cigars, and and not only and then okay, start to sell in France. Then we acquired in the seventies. We had for me one also. I think two of our biggest steps that we really took as a family, which was one um, that we acquired, let's say, two companies in, uh, in Belgium. Uh, that was Nios and Cortez, and where Cortez then became our famous brand, famous brand, local famous in Belgium and in France. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we acquired that, but especially the acquisition of Neos. Neos was the same size like our company. So you really, you have to see, it was like David taking over Goliath. It was for us a big step. And that's for me, right. first step, that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial step of my grandfather. Second step, that step that my uncle said, like, okay, we go full in, kind of. You know right. what I mean? It's really like, let's take that challenge. And I, you can imagine, you know, doing that, you have some sleepless nights saying, like, am I <laughs> taking the right decision? What the you fuck know? am I
0: doing? Yeah. Oh,
1: yes, indeed, indeed. And, um... And okay, they did it. And, uh, and my dad I, tells me that story quite often. He had to convince the banker and then bankers really came into your business to look to the business. The banker mm. didn't believe it on paper. He said like, come over, I will show you what we mean. And the banker believed them and supported them. And they had a loan that they had to repay over 10 years and they could pay it back over five years. And that was... Wow. Say, so uh, very good them. terms. Yes, uh, fantastic. And, and, and really the start... Of I mean another wave, let's say of of kind of success, and then investing in sales teams. So the money that came out always was reinvested in the company. I mean, my dad often says like dividends. I don't know the I know the word, but I never lived it. And and it's really (laughs) it's like always looking to reinvest. What can we do next? How can we do this better? Can we buy new machines? Can we buy new things? So um, so that's how they continued. And, and another thing that, I, that we as a family, but me in particular, I have to be very thankful for is that they had an, um, an, a charter before it even existed. You know, I mean, now hmm. family chartered or charters and in, in family businesses or something that become quite common and that you see and hear often. Uh, then it was not often like that. You know, I mean, it was like whoever wants to come into the family, a business comes in. And the charter was that only one kid per branch could enter the business, maximum. Okay. And that if no kid was entering the business and you as a sibling was turning 65, you had to sell your shares to the other siblings. Ah, okay. And that, uh, okay, uh, things went naturally and, and, By reason, you know, I mean, nobody of some of his siblings came into the business. So bit by bit, they went from five to four. So of the eight, only five were active from five to four, four to three, whatever, to only one, which is finally my dad who who acquired the last part of the business in 2006. But this helped to make sure that we had all the shares, let's say, in one hand which doesn't mean that it needs to be like that but it's sometimes easier for a family business not to have too many actors who have to take decisions to make sure that you can continue the business Mm. and uh, but it also made it, it secured also our family ties so we still nowadays have family parties every year with the whole family and everybody is there And that means a lot to me. And it it shows the values of our family, of our company, where we say, like, yes, of course, business is important. Business is, I don't say number one, but, okay, we really have to uh, secure that we can survive for the next generation. But take care of the generation as well and make respect and values for family ties, active or non-active, shareholder, non-shareholder. Be respectful for them. And understand that when you're not a shareholder and you carry the same name, there is some emotional attachment to that. And if you have, or you are a shareholder, you are a lucky one being in there. So mm. I think that that helped, and, and and that's something we're very very proud of. Anyhow, that's a bit the start of our history, and of of and I came along in uh, I'm born in the 80s, like I said, youngest one of three, and long story short i started working in the business in the in the 9 and sorry in 2003 to 5 something like that and uh, after my studies also at university and and then uh, yeah i had the luck uh, yeah i mean worked hard uh, traveled a lot met many people within the cigar industry and um, and had the luck as well at a certain moment to uh, to be able to travel to south and middle america meet a lot of other cigar makers uh, and <coughs> I met at a certain moment some families that were really having the same passion like we had and uh, and for us, it was important because we were a cigar manufacturer in Belgium, uh, but we made machine made cigars and 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 unfortunately, these cigars yeah are not seen always the right way because there have been misuse of our category and and they, some sure. of these products became close to cigarettes so for Also for legislation makers and everything, it became different, difficult to see the difference between cigars and cigarettes and things like that. But the premium cigars, the handmade cigars, is a segment that always had that kind of distinction, you know, I mean, separate category. Even though for me, I can smoke short fillers in a, with the same enjoyment as long fillers, I do understand where it comes from. But we were not active in that part. Mm. And that part to me is also a part that can survive for the next generations. so i had the luck to meet with many families who were active since generations in tobacco as well we had the same stories about our grandfather starting things for them it was more they started in the field we started more Mm. at the making side and um and as such i mean amongst other with the olivas i got along and we said like i said like come on why don't we make a cigar together And we tried Mm. to make a cigar together and i asked them. i said like okay but If you make the cigar together, promise me that you will not sell your business tomorrow because this will be a story of two families, your family, our family. If you sell your business to another family or a conglomerate or whatever, the story of two families is not valid anymore. No, 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 no. And then six months later, finally, they came with the bad news that they would sell. So I was was a little bit, again, smashed in the ground, (laughs) stood up. And then turned, flipped the coin, you know, and said, "Like, okay, but maybe I can try. Maybe I can buy it myself." Yeah. And um, again, long story. So, um, so okay, maybe I'm talking too much, but okay, I mean, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, back. it's fine. But so yeah, yeah. Uh, so now we're having a, a global presence within the cigar world, making cigars in uh, in Nicaragua, but still in Belgium as well, and trying to sell them um, all over the world.
0: Extraordinary, extraordinary. And Sorry, I, I, I wonder what, what <laughs> That's was it. Really too long. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you did very well to distill an entire uh, th- uh, three generations of history in about 15 minutes. I mean, congratulations. Uh, I, 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 can barely, I can barely talk about my university life in 15 minutes. You know, so, uh, so, so, well done. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I think the first question that kind of comes out to me is, um. Um, what was it about the Oliva family that, that, that interested you? Um, cause as far, cause for me, right, I'm, I'm fairly new in the world of cigars and I only know Oliva as they are since they've been owned by you guys. Um, I'm not familiar with Oliva before. I don't know what they were really doing before. I, right? I'm familiar about the very, very early history about how they were founded and the brothers and how they left Cuba and all this other stuff. I'm, I'm very familiar with that history, but I'm not familiar with what they were doing after that. So, so how did you guys come across Oliva and what was it about them that interested you?
2: Hmm.
1: Like I said, you know, I mean, we had an, um, uh, I traveled around over there and I I visited, I think 30 or 40 different companies and families. Still, most of them are still owned by families. And the, the, the stories of the different families are often very similar. Uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. they flew from Cuba, looked for a certain place to make cigars, started to make cigars in Dominican, Honduras, Nicaragua and then, I mean, exporting to the US um, when you meet people, you know, I mean you often have a, a ah, it's, it's a click, there is something or, or you know, I mean, they maybe have different views, I had I mean, a, a fantastic moment with different families, amongst other mm-hmm. Oliva's, so it was not that for me, Oliva was the only one let's say out there the one i did not travel to the middle americas to acquire a company to be very clear understood i came
0: to create a partnership
1: first of all to meet people and to learn about Mm. their world so that was my main goal i wanted to learn about that that handmade world i knew them from the shops i knew them from some stories i knew them from some magazines that you're reading yes but I didn't know them personally. I didn't know their real history. And and those were all gods. I remember going to PCA, the Big Three Cigar Trade Show in the U.S., and seeing them like, wow. You know what I mean? A little boy yeah. looking to, to, yeah, to movie stars. You know I mean? And these movie stars were very, very far from me. So being able to travel and to see them in their day-to-day environment helped to make that movie star, like, I mean, accessible. And to be honest, our industry yeah. is in that sense fantastic. You know I mean? The Fuentes, Lito, Placencias—you know the big names. You know, I mean, within our industry, if you go to Nicaragua and you're on a Placencia farm and Nestor is there, he will welcome you. You know, I mean, whoever mm-hmm. you are. So that 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 humbleness of of the big boys in our industry is really really unique. So that helped me to to meet them. And of course, I mean, Oliva, look, they made great cigars, but many of them do. I will, I mean, with a lot of respect for other people, they, many of them do uh they had a they had for me a a a nice branding as well i have to say that they really uh, they looked to their cigars as it was a real uh, yeah as as a family as it was recognizable you know when it was in the shop it was also easy to understand had
0: a, a distinctive look
1: Distinctive look, and then, like you say, Siri O, Siri V, it's a Siri of Oliva. You understand it easily. You know, I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's easy. So they, I mean, that they did that fantastically well. And also, the story of the three brothers and the sister, everybody with his own special, uh, specialization, was something that was fantastic to me. And then again, then it was not like, let's, uh, it wasn't an, an utopia, you know, it was a dream for maybe when I'm 65 years old, maybe I will be able to acquire one of these companies. That was really my, my intention or my, my idea. So time was ahead of me right. and I had time. But I said like, okay, but if I want to be something in that world, if I want to make a cigar and sell that cigar in Europe, and I come with a handmade cigar and I said like, Fred's cigar, Jay Cortez, yeah. they will say like, come on, Fred, what do you know about handmade cigars? You're a machine sure. made dude. And as such, I thought, like, okay, but if I make it together with them, they are happy because they are not looking really to the European market. U.S. is the big market. So I can, I mean, be, represent them here with our story. And, I, and they will also help me to make the story viable, you know, I mean, to make it a real story. Yeah. And as such, you know, I mean, uh, we get along and we started talking and, like, I end my, uh, my last story, you know, I mean, we were able finally to acquire them more by accident than something else. But what we felt immediately is the moment we entered is, and not when we entered, but before as well. You know, I mean, when we meet the people, the values of our families are very close. And having these mm. values very close makes it very easy to integrate. Secondly, the company didn't have any overlap. They were handmade, we were machine made. They were US, yeah, we totally were totally different sector. So it's a perfect, the puzzle is fitting perfectly and that helped I me mean, we didn't have to fire anybody i mean after after starting this and then after we acquired it we tried to solve the problems that the people within the company had these were not
0: what were the problems
1: but yeah problems you know i mean it or it were maybe problems of success but it was the the fact was that by growing in the last years before they of course had mm. a factory that was like when you buy your first little home you know i mean then three years later, you change the kitchen and then you change your bathroom and blah, blah. So after 10 years, your home is beautiful, but sometimes it looks, when you look at it from the outside, it looks a little bit odd because you added on things. <laughs>
2: well, that factory was
1: you. a little bit like that. You know, I mean, it's functioned well, but it needed like some tabula rasa. It needed some like, streamlining. Start from, yeah, start from scratch, streamline it. You talk to the people and some inefficiencies that were there. And in- inefficiencies and in a company... You would say like, yeah, this is like thinking too economical. No, I mean, people who are working, making cigars and who are paid by cigars are very happy when the process is very efficient because they can just yes. earn more money in an easier way. And, and humans are, I mean, are tend to go to the most efficient way. So when you make it more efficient, you make it more happy. And then I think we invested a lot in tobaccos, you know, just buying tobaccos, just making sure that we have a security stock. If next year we needed more cigars, we had more tobacco. I was never afraid to invest in cigars and in tobacco because even if they, they're there for five years, they're still okay. But the good yeah. thing is if you if some more people want to taste it or if you want to launch it into you in the UK, a little bit broader than it was launched before, you need cigars. So to have cigars, you need them. So we just for some stock. So we didn't change things to me. You know, I mean, we just try to fill in gaps that were that were maybe there and that the oliva family would have done the same thing you know but again with four it's maybe sometimes a little bit more difficult to take decisions than when you're alone or with a few
0: yeah no i'm with you i'm with you i think i, th- I think look i think when you've got multiple minds uh, and those minds are all aligned i think things can work very very well but most of the time it's very much the the the, the old phrase isn't it too many cooks spoil the broth um I think when you've got too many uh, conflicting opinions, it's almost impossible to come to, to, to a cohesive decision. And that just makes so much like bureaucracy and red tape. And it just takes, uh talk about inefficiencies, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And look, again, uh, it was not that bad with the Olivas. But I mean, for them, uh, there was a reason also why they wanted to sell. And, uh, and again, still Jose Oliva is still president, I mean, uh, chairman of Oliva Cigars. So he's still kind of involved. Uh, Gilberto Oliva is still involved in tobacco growing. Uh, mm. We buy wood <laughs> via Carlos. So in a certain way, and and again, I want them. I try to meet every year for a family dinner together with the four oh. of them and, and my little family. Because we have a lot to thank uh, about from their family. And, and, and that's... We, in the last years, uh, the the cigar industry is unfortunately an industry that is under a lot of pressure from the governments. You know, I mean, we have plenty of things that are against it. And not only about governments. You know that we cannot, I mean, in Belgium and France, I cannot borrow money from a bank anymore. So Belgium, Netherlands, the banks closed. Because you're a tobacco company. Because I'm a tobacco company. What the fuck? Yeah, Indeed.
0: Yeah, I did hear. I did hear about something like uh, Stripe or something like that. Uh, one of the one of the payment um, uh, processors uh, sh- started shutting down accounts of uh, t- of uh, tobacconists. I-, I heard about that. I mean, this is crazy shit.
1: This is crazy because you're talking about a legal product. I mean, and especially cigars. Yeah, I mean, this is also something you can imagine. You're born in this, so it's logical. You smoke cigars. You're in the cigar world, whatever. The other hand, I mean, when you're getting a little bit older and you say, like, is this what I want to do my whole life? You want to make sure you're behind your product. So yeah. I think cigars, there is nothing bad with cigars. It's the excess of tobacco use that is bad. So excess in everything is bad. You know, I mean, if you drink every day your two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola, it's bad. If you eat 10 McDonald's, yeah, it's, it's very bad. bad. If you eat, we have great cookies of Jules de strooper that we make with the family as well. If you eat a ton of them, it's bad. If you smoke 20 cigars a day, it's bad. If you smoke a pack of cigarettes, it's bad. But if you enjoy tobacco with moderation, like you have to enjoy caffeine, like you have to enjoy alcohol, like you have to enjoy everything in life, you know, I mean, if you can really, if you can balance it and if you can do it with moderation, it's better, it does more good to you than bad. I believe that a cigar avoids uh, burnouts. I mean, I think if you're able to switch off and to switch off your and listen to Omar's podcast in your garden with a cigar. I mean, I think you're off the grid. You don't think about things, and you your your brain has time to calm down. I think it's very important. I mean, especially for the younger people, it will even become more important.
0: Listen, I I, 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 I agree with you wholeheartedly. But I hope you don't mind, um, Fred. I'm going to kind of offer a slightly different. Um, uh, perspective on this so no, no i've 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 got a slightly different problem uh to governments and payment processors and banks starting to close down around the tobacco industry and particularly the premium tobacco industry right the cigars and the kind of the the mum and pup uh tobacconists so uh, i don't drink uh i'm a i'm a, a teetotaler uh, I've never drunk alcohol. I started off not drinking for religious reasons and then I continued not drinking because alcohol is fucking terrible for you. There is there is no uh, there is no amount of ethanol that you can possibly uh, drink whether it's one unit or 50 units that is in any way beneficial to you whatsoever. Ethanol will kill you eventually. There is no other explanation for that, okay? Um. But alcohol is promoted it's very easy to market tobacco, uh, sorry, very easy to market alcohol. In fact, there was a guy called Professor David Nutt. Uh, he was a government advisor towards uh, drugs and uh, alcohol. And he went on the record saying if alcohol is legal, then psychedelics should also be legal. Thank God. You know, and, and the government sacked him for saying that. The government kicked him out of the cabinet for saying that. When actually the evidence suggests that actually more people die from alcohol consumption than anything else combined. More people die from alcohol consumption than uh, psychedelic use. More people die from alcohol consumption than marijuana. More people die from alcohol than cigars. But yet the government gets very, very rich and very, very wealthy from the tax that they charge on alcohol purchases. Yeah. So for me, if the if the government and the payment processors and the banks are happy to back alcohol companies, then why the fuck are they targeting tobacco companies? Why are they targeting, in particular the premium tobacco brands, right? The Olivers, uh, the Fuente, you know these the padron, you know the, the Palencia, these these great, great heritage, that's what they are, they're heritage brands. These are brands that should be UNESCO protected, as far as I'm concerned. you know these are generations of legends so for me it pisses me off because they're the one thing that destroys families you know it's it's a it's a leading reason for domestic violence it it kills people it puts a lot of stress on national health services is totally fine and totally legal and has actually benefited the government because they tax it but yet they they fuck up the tobacco companies i don't know I mean, listen. I don't smoke cigarettes either, and I don't. I don't. I think cigarettes again are really, really bad for you and fucked up. But for me, uh, the cigar industry is totally different. You know, it's totally different, and I think it's about time that the legislators, and the and the banks and the payment processors create that distinction. And I know Carlito has been doing a lot of work with the UK. Sorry, with the U.S. government. I think he's been doing it for about ten years now. All of you guys have. Um, I do know that the distributors in the UK, whether it's Hunters and Frankow, whether it's Tor Imports, you know, have been really trying very, very hard in the UK to create that distinction. Um, You know, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for uh, uh, the the UK distributors pushing hard against the government, we would have never been able to smoke cigars indoors. The government was going to make that illegal. And it was only because they were pushing that we got the smoking uh, the sampling exemption in the UK. You know this is this is bullshit. This is the only word I can think of. This is absolute bullshit. And I, I, you know, I, I sympathize uh, with 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 the brands like yourself and also the smaller ones, right? Um, for sure. You know this is. This is this sure. is totally I, not fair. So for me, it pisses me off from that perspective that you've yeah. got alcohol that is that is promoted and totally fine and everyone loves it because it's part of the culture. Uh, but then, like, accept cigars as well. Like, this is a lifestyle thing as well, and it's nowhere near as bad. Uh, nowhere near as bad for you.
1: Yeah, no, no. And I think we're going into. Uh, I'm I'm active. I'm I'm a, a board member of the European Cigar Manufacturing Association. I mean, with with our mm. company, we're uh, with Oliva. We're a member of the board of uh, of PCA, you know, of the of the Cigar Association, the Premium Cigar Association in the U.S. So indeed, I mean, the the things we do day by day is explaining to everybody in government like there is a difference. It's not all the same. Tobacco is not in general tobacco, you know. I mean, you have different types of tobacco, and and you have the. Yeah, uh, there is, I mean, there is no safe tobacco, but just like there is, as you say, no safe alcohol or no safe, I mean, fat, you know, I mean, you just have to do it with moderation and people have to understand it. And premium cigar smokers are most of the time older adult people who do it Mm. automatically with moderation, you know, you can just not do it quick and dirty and with a lot of volume. So um no, no, I mean I'm surely totally with you and I think that with the associations we're trying to do that. In in the UK as well. You have plain packaging on, on cigarettes, you don't have plain packaging on premium cigars. This is a yeah. clear distinction that we have tried to put out there and that yeah, luckily it worked, but it's still it's day by day, you know. I mean it's something that we have to fight for. And indeed it's a, it, uh, it's, I it's a I, I go often back to the thirties <laughs> with the with the alcohol ban in the US. You know, I mean mm. Can you imagine that? I mean, over 10 years, you know, I mean, more than 10 years. I think it was 12 or 14 years. You had an alcohol, a ban of alcohol in the United States of America. Look, we're 22. We're close to the 30s. Somewhere in the world, there will be a tobacco ban. I mean, you, but it will not be in the U.S. They live their times of the ban. You know, I mean. But you see it. In a yeah, lot they, of-
0: know, they know what happens. Yeah.
1: They know what happens, indeed. But you see it coming up, you know. I mean, I think it's in Finland now. There is a proposal. Uh, all kids born after 2011, 2013 can never touch the back. New Zealand, the same. So New so Zealand, goes- yeah. I
0: so I, I read about New Zealand. New, but New we, Zealand's fucked, you know. New, New Zealand has so many more problems <laughs> apart from that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah,
1: yeah. We once said that if the world would fuck up, we would move to a farm in New Zealand because I mean, yeah. living there <laughs> in between the sheep seems like very silent. But okay, you know. I, mean, I, I hope I can still smoke my cigar. But, um, but okay, and now you said that maybe we have to choose another island somewhere in the world.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but we just had a win in Mauritius very funny i mean in mauritius the we win? fight and we, we had an exemption for cigars and premium cigars and it every small win is always like yes you know i mean i think we saved something that is valid and that is not and that this was for me in the beginning when i made the choice very important do i kill people or mm. do i give enjoyment you know and i think again i think i give more we we always say i mean don't smoke but enjoy but we mean we really mean it and and it's I, I believe that i bring more happiness that i solve more problems than i create you know let's say that
0: yeah i mean it very much goes back to the analogy that you gave in the beginning when we're talking about optimism uh, you know it's very much this mountain in front of you and it's probably a better idea to look behind you and realize holy shit i've i've gone quite a long way rather than looking at the peak and barely being able to see it above the clouds yeah. you know I th- i think that's probably a healthier way to do it but like you know, like I said, you know, before we move on to the next subject, I think, you know, for me, like the main thing is, is that regardless of the quantity, any I mean, I mean, listen to this, uh, Fred. There are there are people in the in the finance industry in the UK that work in the city where having a bottle of two, a, a bottle or two of wine every day is quite normal. Right. You know, it's normal. The statistic for that is having two bottles of wine every single day will knock off 23 years of your life. 23 you. years. That's a long fucking time. That's indeed crazy. There is no study to suggest that smoking cigars will kill you, right? Yeah. Yes, you know, there are there are some studies that suggest that you might have, uh, you know, mouth cancer, throat cancer, things like this. I think impotency is also another thing. But this is such an excess of smoking that it's almost humanly impossible to do so. There are only a handful of humans on this planet that could smoke the amount of cigars necessary to create impotency, to create... In fact, um, nicotine is very well known. The amount of nicotine in a single Toro-sized cigar is enough to increase a man's testosterone by 17%. You know, this is... Do you see what I'm saying? So, like, actually... And nicotine is very well known for being a testosterone booster. So I don't understand. But, but obviously anything in excess, as you say, uh, is very, very bad for you. Um, so I think for me, it's just the one thing I want people to understand who are listening to this is is for me. I, I, I use alcohol as an example because there is no quantity of it, which it could be potentially good for you. Any quantity is fucking terrible for you and will kill you eventually the same is not that it's not the same for cigars It's very different it's a different category of product you know medically and scientifically it's very different um so i i i i have to say i i i really feel for you and and i i commend you for fighting this battle because for me it fucks my mind you know it's just like <laughs> you know so you're a very tolerant man clearly so i, I <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, yeah. this is uh, ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous um but i think that the question i wanted to ask you as well was were there any challenges that you initially found as a company that was known for machine-made cigars um uh, moving into the world of premium tobacco and premium cigars was, was was there a um uh was there a was there any friction uh, of moving into that world
1: we're in a let's say if you look if you look internally within the company i would say not at all you know i mean within the company we always have been tobacco lovers and we made machine-made cigars but a lot of them were still 100 percent tobacco cigars so it's like a handmade cigars but made on a machine you know so they are made to enjoy with moderation and we have tobacco blenders And we have all we always kept even our sales team you know i mean even though they sold maybe small cigarillos was continuously trained about tobacco we needed them we wanted them to know about the product so the fact that you guys were
0: were creating high quality short cigars that were machine made yes Uh, if i could interject really quickly No, no you can to play to play devil's advocate what do you think about people that say well it's a bit of an oxymoron to say high, to say premium short filler cigars. Uh, what, what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that no, I that's, uh, that's a valid I'm, argument or not so much?
1: No, uh, uh, I don't know exactly what an axiomoral is, to be honest. Oh, again.
0: that's it's a it's a it's a, uh, it's a contradictory a contradiction, thing. So.
1: Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, excuse me.
2: But um, uh, no, 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 no. Sorry I, for, for what
1: being I an think, idiot. <laughs> look, you have to see the history as well. So in the, in, in the, the, the Spanish-speaking world, Spain, whatever, I mean, they smoked a lot of premium cigars, call it that way, handmade cigars. They had the whole of Middle Americas and they brought the tobacco over and they had good weather in Spain, so they had the time to smoke it, so they smoked it. Fantastic. Um, but then the Netherlands and Germany and whatever, but surely the Netherlands, I mean, they had also their colonies, so they went to Indonesia, started growing tobacco, brought it over mm-hmm. and started making cigars. Yeah, I mean, if you're in the Netherlands and you have half of the year and you have to stand outside, you know, I mean, to smoke a cigar for an hour or even inside, Mm. whatever. But I mean, it's not, it's naturally not so fun. So what do you do? And secondly, the Dutch, you know, I mean, maybe the Dutch people listening will say, like, hey, this is not true, but, okay, they're known as not really willing to spend a lot of money, you know. And, uh, sure. and as such, like, they say, like, oh, these cigars are expensive, they're too big. So, that, that's the second part of the story. I mean, where you see, like, okay, they tended to make the cigars smaller. So, but when okay. you make a cigar smaller and you want to roll it out of one leaf, it's practically mm. impossible. Because mm. you don't have a blend. You always need a blend. You cannot make a cigar out of one leaf. You know I mean? That, one leaf. That's... It doesn't make... Yeah, you need a blend. You need different leaves to make sure that that, that blends together and that makes your flavor. So blending that tobacco for a small cigar had at a conclusion that you had to trash or cut your tobacco into small pieces and then roll it in your leaf of tobacco. So when that's you see sense. it with that perspective... It's exactly the same. Of course, history, I mean, in, in 60 years after, a lot of things happened. And, and again, like I said, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a natural evolution that people started misusing the category or started making even smaller cigars and then adding filters to it. And then, yeah, I mean, then, of course, the word premium is not at all, I mean, on its place anymore. And there are very, very, there, it's only a tiny, tiny part of the industry that you can still validly call premium uh, machine made cigars but it's for me not always a contradiction
0: Interesting, okay, sorry uh, I, I interrupted you before, so you guys were creating these machine made cigars, you were educating the rollers and making sure that they understood everything to make that uh, so, so you were explaining how that So that was indeed, so let's say internally
1: it was, it was more, it was of course everybody was very proud at the other side okay. of the world, within Oliva there was some scepticism internally to say like, oh my God, you know, I mean, somebody of the machine We're being made taken world, over by machine-made guys. So what yeah. will happen here? And, and again, what we, did, uh, no, what we did there was, I mean, trying to help them to solve their problems, but not at all changing anything that was good. So the moment they it took maybe some, also having part of the family like Jose who stayed on, who could really calm calm down? Let's say, explain to the people like, guys, I don't think that a lot will change. Yeah. I, I still remember the moment that I was there to announce, like, yeah, we're the family who acquired you, and I said, like, look, I hope five years from now you will say, like, nothing changed, Fred, except the things that should have changed. And and by listening to them and by not changing the things that shouldn't be changed, we uh, it helped a lot uh, to let's say surely convince everybody and if you look now to the team within oliva within Tabolisa, nicaragua on the fields or whatever there is not a lot of people that left us you know i mean very 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 few the team is intact and that gave me the biggest proudness you know i mean if we if we passed a five-year threshold and i looked to the team i said like guys you're still here so that means you're happy i suppose because there's plenty of work in the cigar industry <laughs> and uh, and so Yes, they were, you know. So and and that's and that's really that that was the biggest compliment they could give. I mean, to, to give me the opportunity to show that I meant it really the right way for them, for the brand, for everything. And uh, and then in the market, let's say our communication was also minimal. And I really think mm-hmm. that, I hope so, that 95% of the Oliva smokers do never heard about Fred van der Marieter before. And to be honest they do not need to know me in the coming 20 years also. I want to mm. deliver them a great product I mean, and, and honor the, the history of the family, of the product, the legacy that they left needs to continue and we need to really take care of it. And if they know us, the only thing they should know is that we're like a father really taking care of a baby or an adult that really, has grown up, but that we really nurture and that we want to make sure that can glitter in the coming years. 10 to 15 years so were the challenges was scepticism whatever i think for sure and then i talk about internally but externally surely as well within the market i think that people the moment we were announced in the u.s nobody knew us nobody knew us yeah and 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 it was like what is happening there now this is something very special that's a little belgian coming in what will we do here and now I think, I mean, again, you know, I mean, it's, I ask a lot of feedback, I mean, uh, from you, from whoever I meet. I mean, I will always try to know, like, okay, what do we do good? What do we do bad? What can we do better? And, and, and especially from the guys who were born and raised in the industry. And I think up to now, you know, I mean, uh, I can't complain, but I mean, next year can be different. So we have to stay vigilant and, then, and have to just make sure that we do the things right
0: yeah no it's really interesting actually to kind of hear hear the inside perspective um and how and 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 what it's like from 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 that vantage point um i mean for me i can tell you one thing so i was i was mentioning this to you before but oliva was actually the first new world cigar that i had ever had i think in the uk and and maybe maybe even europe but i think the uk especially and in, in fact especially london because London in itself is its own micro economy in terms of cigars, right? You know, London is probably one of the only markets where if a cigar isn't expensive enough, it doesn't sell. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a very, very, it's a fucking, it's a strange market. Very, very unusual. Um, but uh, one of the one of the great things that we have, I think, which I think the Americans, um, you know, definitely envy is the fact that we have such extraordinary access to Cubans. Um and I think most people in the UK that start their journey, they start their journey smoking Cuban cigars, um, and that was me, right? My dad smoked Cubans, and then when I snuck off and I had my first one when I was at university, uh, because <laughs> my dad never let me had uh, have them. I went with my friends and had my first, uh, you know, was uh,
1: from your it was dad's a, a humidor, I suppose.
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, no. To this day, you know, to this day, he never lets me have anything from his hum- humidor. I can't believe it. I'm like, what the fuck? I bought you boxes of cigars and you don't let me have one of your cigars. This is crazy shit. <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. It means a lot.
1: It means a lot about the, the love he has for his cigars.
0: Exactly. So much love, so much care, right? You know, this is ridiculous. You know, I'll tell you something funny. I was smoking a... Co- My dad's favorite cigar is the Cohiba Esplendidos, right? Mm-hmm. He great, he, yeah. he tries to smoke that every... He doesn't smoke often, but when he does, he, he likes to enjoy and one day I, I I get my first box of Esplendidos, and I'm smoking it, and I'm recording an episode while I'm smoking it, and I make a comment. I say, "This is my first ever Esplendidos I've had, and this is my dad's favorite cigar, and and now I'm having my first. I had to buy my own. It's <laughs> bullshit, you know. <laughs> He's got boxes in his humidor, and I've I'm only just now having my first. It's ridiculous. So, oh, but." Um, it's ridiculous, uh, but, um, you know, I hope he's listening to this. But, um, you know, <laughs> but, um, but. Please share some know, I, with
1: your son. Come on. Thank you for <laughs> deserves it. Deserves it, <laughs> it
0: I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, the encouragement means a lot. Uh, so I, I, I have these Cubans and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. And when I started creating content on the podcast, that's when I felt I felt a responsibility. I felt, you know, it's important for me to experiment and to look outside of the realm of which I I feel comfortable. You know, it's the same thing that I apply to every topic I I explore, and I thought, why would I, why wouldn't I do that with cigars? So of course, Tor Imports, you know, biggest um uh, new world importer in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, extraordinary team, Ricardo, amazing guy, really really lovely um you know super super supportive of the brands that they represent and especially oliva i think oliva has a real special place in his heart nicaraguan heritage and all this sort of stuff um and in my opinion apart from padron and fuente um i think i think oliva series via milanio which is my audience will be familiar with this because i wrote the range breakdown of that on the yeah. blog not too long ago Beautiful. It's one of the few genuinely ultra-premium New World cigar brands. Um, you know, Opus X is up there. Uh, you know, the Anniversary Series from Padron is up there. Uh, probably, uh, uh, would you say Alma forte from Plasencia is probably up there as well? It's um, newer,
1: I mean, it, but it's a, it's surely fantastic cigar and great tobacco people as well.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but... You know, the, the Oliva Series V Milano Figurado, the one that you're smoking now, uh, was the first New World Cigar I ever had. And I remember smoking it and I looked at Ricardo and I said, my God, this is the same price as a Robusto size Cuban, if not cheaper. Uh, and this was before the price hikes, right? This is before Habanos mm-hmm. made the price hikes. Mm-hmm. Why isn't everyone? Why doesn't everyone have these cigars in their humidor? This is what was going through my head. It's, and to this day, that cigar that you're smoking, Fred, is one of the best, forget New World, one of the best cigars I've had. Uh, I smoke it as often as I possibly can, the Maduro and the Natural. It's an amazing, amazing cigar. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, if there was any skepticism initially, that skepticism should be put to bed. That's Can you please spoken. explain to
1: the audience that I didn't uh, promise or give you 20 boxes before the show? <laughs> <That> <laughs> no, everything but is I, paid by yourself. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. I think I think this is, I, I, but I think this is what, what, what the listeners know, right? They know that I'm not a sellout. They know that, you know, I don't, maybe this is a bit childish to say this, but they know that I don't, I don't rate a cigar based on how much advertising um is being purchased you know mm-hmm. I, I that's not that's not how i work i i smoke whatever i have and if i like it i want everyone else to be able to smoke it uh this is the same this is the same across the board for me um but but what you say
1: I would say thank you very, very much, and I think we're very, very humble people and And naming our cigar in between the cigars that you named and the families you named and the companies you named is a uh, yeah is the biggest other that will come that can, that can come to us. and still, i don't I personally even don't see ourselves yet there. you know I mean, I think that we still really, uh, we, we it's a fantastic cigar. We're very, very proud about what we do. And, and we're very, very passionate about you do, what you do, and we want to make it better every day, and we want to, for sure, one thing that we want to secure is the continuity of the cigar, because that's one of the most difficult things. If you smoke a Milano today, that in five years from now, it's the same taste, and in 10 years from now, it's the same taste, and quality, and draw, and everything. And that's, I think, the biggest challenge, and, and that's what we need to do. We need to promise you that. You go, you buy it, and you want to enjoy for one hour, if you have a bad draw, if you have a bad aftertaste, if the fermentation of the tobacco was not well done, if something happened, when if the seed is deteriorated over 10 years, we give you a bad experience and you gave us one hour of your precious time. So that's the worst we can do. So mm. it's a real honor. I mean, and, and and thank you very much for saying all that. And But once again, you know, I mean, the, the main goal is what I just
2: said.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, but I mean, for me, like, you know, <laughs> Uh, I think also the one thing I've always been impressed about is the consistency. Um, what I tend to do when I'm sampling for a review or something is I, I will have a few over a few weeks. Um, and it, the the Series V, Milano uh, series, across, across all the Vitolas that we tried, both myself and my co-writer, um, it was the most consistent cigar that we had ever had. Uh, we've never had a cigar before that quite literally tasted exactly the same just as great as the last one that we had Uh, of course we use boveda to to humidify and that obviously helps Uh, it Mm, helps with mm. the consistency for sure Uh, but regardless it was the first ever cigar cuban and new world that we had had that sampling across you know five different samples in each vitola it tasted perfect every single time it tasted exactly the same every single time Amazing, amazing, amazing! I mean, yeah. we hadn't seen that before. It's and the more cool.
1: you're in the tobacco world, and I don't have to explain it to you, more you know almost more about it than I do. Uh, when I listen to your uh, your podcast, but I mean, the more, even I'm born in it, and now I'm, I'm raised in it. But the more I mm-hmm. get to know about it, the more things that can really bring that consistency into danger. Uh, we now there is one thing that now in the last years we are more involved into the growing operations, and we have a, a great guy Vivaldo who's working with us, who's, an, who's a Cuban. I mean, uh, who's working now with us, and uh, he developed the Criollo 98, I mean, really some seeds that he really developed. And that guy Criollo is a Cuban seed, right? Yes, yes, and it's a habano yeah. seed, and and that habano seed has been is grown in Nicaragua. I mean, uh, I mean yeah. almost everywhere. But he developed that 98 seed because the 98 seed was when the blue mold entered Cuba and they had to make uh, seeds that were resistant to blue mold, but that still tasted wow. the same. So he was the, the agronomist doing that. And uh, no, not the agronomist, how do you call it? The guy really doing the seed crossings and things like that. And my God, if you, he's taking me into the fields. He said like, Fred, look yeah. here. This is the Criollo mean, 98, you know, I mean, that you, uh, that you have in the fields. And and, and and this is where it comes from. So, like, okay, uh, isn't it the same? So, like, no, no, no. Look to the outside of the leaf. Don't you see that it's a little bit different? And it's really, like, yeah. the, the, the way that the, the leaf all around, you know, I mean, the little uh, saw, I mean, the, the the form, the real form of the leaf, there was a hmm. little difference, you know? Said so like, you have to watch out, you know? I mean, you really have to make sure that your seed stays clean and that your leaf really, I mean in 10 years from now is exactly the same like it was five years ago and like it is yeah. today you know what i mean so this that little little thing showed me like oh my godness oh my goodness this is really amazing what what a small thing can happen if we don't really watch out into every process and so we try to every process now is it from the again the seed selection so the real beginning but then later on mm-hmm. growing the tobaccos uh, hanging them drying them you know what i mean that, that everything is done in the best possible way. And then I love and I'm, I'm quickly but I love to try to see like okay, it's a very ancient ancient business, you know. I mean four hundred years yeah. of cigar rolling in the yeah. world, say that way. So we still roll it in quite kind of the similar way. But then yeah. I love to think about okay, but can we help with new technologies to secure that consistency?
0: This and was are... what I was gonna ask. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was very interested in your opinion and your 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 um uh your 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 idea on how technology could be implemented to help uh, uh the cigar industry great minds think alike, omar absolutely <laughs> i can absolutely. read your we're, questions we're, we're, when we're, I bro- could we're before brother brother bro-
2: brothers
1: in arms already yeah <laughs> <laughs> um no so I believe that there, so we have Vivaldo coming in, doing that things. And then we, ha- we were talking about the pilon, you know, I mean, the, the, the moment the tobacco is fermenting. It's a yeah. crucial process uh, within the cigar making. If your cigar, if your tobacco is badly fermented, you will have a bad cigar. You cannot make a good cigar after when it's bad fermented. And sometimes I find some cigars and people say like, oh, I will age it for 20 years and it will become good. When the tobacco mm. is badly fermented, you will not ferment it in your cigar. you know I mean it, it will mm. age, and the taste will maybe go down a little bit, but you will not have that real uh, the ferment the, the, the ammonia kind of taste that could still be in there will still be in there and uh, at the end of the day. So what do they do now? You know what is the? They have a, a thermometer, they put it in the pilon, they take it out every day, they have a paper. They write down the temperature, the date, you know I mean? And then they, the moment, and then they make a little graph, day by day by day by day by day, temperature is going up, wow. and you go to 110 Fahrenheit. When it's 110 Fahrenheit, you have to turn the pilon because when it's over-fermenting, it's also a problem. So then you turn the pylon, sure. and then the temperature goes up again, you have that fermentation process going on. Perfect. Then I thought, like, okay, but, I mean, you really? So you take out a thermometer and you're writing it down. And so what happens, you know, I mean, if you have to do a tour of 180 pilones. I mean, you really never miss one, you know, I mean, are you sure you're, yeah, oh, yeah, sometimes, you know, it goes to 123 and oh, it is what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then I thought, like, oh, we can do better. And, uh, and so we introduced a kind of, um, uh, oh, you have the same cocktail like I have. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, for the ones listening, we're both having <laughs> a beautiful bottle of water <laughs> made up. <out laughs> that we both zip on from time to time. But okay, Absolutely. this was a note. <laughs> uh No, and so we made that kind of uh, automatic temperature reader. Now it's uh, temperature and uh, humidity, and uh, it's sending a, a, a Bluetooth signal, I mean to a central uh, computer. That computer is making the growth by himself every mm. 25 seconds, I think, or every 30 seconds. And so wow. at when it turns to 100 degrees Fahrenheit, we get a first SMS to say like, hey, watch out, bill number 135 is at 100 degrees. When it's ready to turn, you have a second SMS, please go and turn it around. When it's going too much, it can go. we send a message to the supervisor or to whatever, so that we have a kind of real quality control of that fermentation thanks to technology. They asked us to switch off the SMS service during night (laughs) because they were not so happy with their married life that at night they got five SMSs because Pilon 105 was at 100 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, and their married life was not uh, uh, going so well. So we switched it off (laughs) at night, (laughs) but now it's still (laughs) on during the day. And, and still we're not we're implementing it, you know, it's not, we're not fully fledged everywhere like that, and it's, uh, it's still in an uh, implementation phase, and those are things, it's new technology, so it doesn't work from the first day. But I believe that's how I believe that modern technology can really enter into our world. And this also, I mean, when we look into the fields, I'm a big believer, we have to be ahead of everything. And, and uh, Placentia is a big example with his two fields he has that are 100% organic, I don't say that today it's feasible to do that on all fields, but using less pesticides has to be a task for us. I mean, to try to do that in a smart way, using less water. You know, using drip irrigation, having uh, Israelis or others who uh, specialists and drip irrigation coming over to make sure we use less water. Uh, drip, I mean fertigation. You know, so that we really do the fertilizer by drip irrigation as well. So those yeah. are that's technology that doesn't touch your cigar. It's still made in exactly the same way and you cannot make cigars by machines they will be rolled by hand in my opinion for the coming 100 years but yeah that is technology that can help us to make sure that the consistency of the cigar is the same now and 10 years down the road and that we really have tobaccos that are that one cigar i mean is as close to as possible as the other cigar
0: extraordinary yeah yeah i think i, th- I think you know, for for me, I and maybe this is because I'm from a different generation than the majority of cigar smokers, right? I think most cigar smokers, the ones that I come across anyway in the UK, they're as you say, they're, they're 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 older, they're from a different generation and whatnot. Um, you know, I I would probably say in terms of in terms of thinking, I think you would probably be closer to 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 my generation than than that generation. I think. Thank you. Thank you. Um. <laughs> yeah i don't know if that's a good thing but uh, but uh, um but I, th- I think for 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 me in particular my 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 entire mentality whenever looking at a product or looking at you know business processes or manufacturing processes my main thing is always optimization and i think this is really what it's all about it's all about optimization it's about how how can you integrate technology not just for the sake of integrating technology Uh, But but as opposed to making the product a better product, whether it's more consistent, whether it's more flavorful, whether it's, you know, uh, improving your UX and UI, whether it's, you know, changing the bands. uh, I guess that's UX and UI in terms of cigars, Um, you know, whatever it might be. How do you how do you optimize? How do you I know you guys create your own boxes of which I love. I love the boxes. The boxes are amazing. Uh, They're actually great because they've
1: if I may. Yeah. What's almost fsc proved. i mean for all boxes i mean so we're close by you know maybe 2023 at least 2024 all boxes will be fsc proof so amazing. we will have let's say I all mean wood will be uh i mean yeah, uh taken out of, of forests that are at least controlled that we don't do anything wrong and that we replant and that we don't touch nature in a bad way
0: that's amazing i mean the one thing i love about the uh, the boxes is um they seal very well, um, which is one thing that I I, I think I uh, uh, I've seen a bunch of boxes that just don't they don't even close properly because they don't they don't have a latch. Um, but I really like your boxes; they seal perfectly. You just put a Boveda pack in there, close it up, put it in the humidor, and it's like it's it's perfect. Um, and they always okay. smell beautiful as well. I know I know that Spanish cedar or cedar has got a distinctive smell, but the olive. The Oliva boxes smell sweet. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's a strange thing. I will uh, I not tell really you all our it. secrets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you spray syrup on the wood. That's the. Uh, that's the. <laughs> that's the secret. It's all natural. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, it's 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 so cool though. I, I I love the idea of optimization, and I think that you guys are probably taking a fascinating approach. In my opinion. You're not looking at just integrating technology because it's there. You're more looking at the use case and thinking, well, well, how will this help us to achieve our product goals? You know, and the product goal is obviously consistency and whatnot, and just making a better, tastier product for a longer period of time. And I I think you're doing a great job. It's super interesting to hear the way that you're going from a fairly archaic business structure, um, maintaining the traditions, i.e. hand rolling, but also marrying that together with tech, uh with uh with the with the right technology um i think the last question i wanted to ask you uh fred was how do you find uh working in a family business um i've always been interested in that personally i talked to people who find it really difficult um and then i've talked to other people who find it a godsend um how, how do you find it and what are the challenges involved in that?
2: You mean as a family
1: member or you mean as a, somebody working there?
0: No, as, as a family member, as someone okay. whose second name is personally invested in the success of that company.
1: Yeah, yeah I think uh, your last question comes back to my first uh, enthusiastic 15 minutes talking about regenerations. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I'm, of course, I'm proud uh there is a part of of, a part of responsibility you know i mean that isn't there that could uh, weigh a lot uh when you think about it or when things go the wrong way you know i mean you have thing that is responsibility as well i know families that were i think sixth generation in their company and that finally sold their company uh, and, and then you think like, okay, do I do good? Do I do bad? You know, and I had plenty of discussions with yeah with these people who are my generation, younger, older. And, um, and look, I think, um, in, in a family business, I mean, the family, uh, in my opinion can be a real added value because you add that layer of. Uh, eternal feeling, you know, or or at least of very of next generation thinking. You do investments because of the next generation, and you don't do it because of the next quarter. That's a, a an amazing difference, you know. I mean, with with of course listed companies, that can be, and and that can let's say, so the family can, in my opinion, really add value to the the, the long term value of that company. At the other hand, you know, I mean, as a family or a family member, you have to know your strengths. But clearly, even more important, you really need to know your weaknesses. And, uh, and you need to know and be aware that a lot of people around you are much better in doing this or this or this within your company. Knowing that and trying to measure for yourself uh, the timing in in which you have your act to play let's say that way the momentum you need to do something the momentum the company is ready for the next generation or the next generation is not ready for the company or the next generation is maybe never ready for the company but then maybe other people can handle it in a better way that's um that's i think very very important so it's a it's a thin line it's it's not an easy one And it's one that you have to be very, uh, I mean, cautious about that you don't uh, overestimate yourself, overestimate your family's name or your family's, I mean, part of the success. We're only as little part of the success as all the members of the company are part of the success. So everybody working with us makes who we are. I cannot roll cigars like the girl and the boys rolling Milanios. I don't know if you ever scanned the QR code, talking about new technology, there is a QR code within a Milanio box. Normally, I mean, whatever, maybe depends on some markets, we cannot do it for legal reasons, but we put a QR yeah. code and on that QR code you can see who rolled your cigar. You have a picture so of, cool. uh, of the Bunchero and the rollero. And, uh, and, and so, this is clearly to show to the people, like, look, I mean, these are the guys making it. So, their part is as much as important. And I feel, um, again, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud, I'm happy, and, but I try to have our, everybody working with us, for us. You, you named Ricardo and Thor, and you named, I mean, Scott, who was a believer in our brand I mean, mm. from the beginning onwards. We were one of his first brands before Ricardo was there. Now, Ricardo, of course, I mean, added a lot of enthusiasm into that as well but they have mm. a great team what they do for us is as important as what i do the only thing like i said i think my goal is to to make sure that our values continue throughout the company to be respected and and these values are not so special you know i mean these are i think normal values like you see very very often in our in our world in families so you take care of your kids you take care of your parents you take care of your babies you take care of your cigars, you take care of your people working with you, and you have to make sure that people who have responsibility within your company because you cannot do anything on your own have are uh, as close as possible to these values. And that's when you become a little bit bigger. Uh, sometimes uh, yeah, that's a real challenge, but when you feel it yeah. works and when the right people are at the right place and they can, let's say, translate your values, I mean, also over within the company and newcomers coming in understand that, Then I think that as a family, you do a good job. If on top of that, you continue to invest, yes, you can have a a nice life. But again, you know, I mean, I like to smoke my cigar a day. I like to eat my piece of bread and my piece of meat and fish or whatever. But I don't need uh, two pieces of meat or two pieces of fish. So I only need one. So the excess money you have, if you can reinvest that as much as possible back into your company, you do well to the next generation because I mean you give them even more in a natural way, and you do well to yourself by i mean uh, and by the to the company and to everything so I think it's reinvesting what you earn it's it's giving back to the one who deserves it and the company and that means indirectly all the people working within your company deserve to have part of that be part of that success so um Again, it's every story is different. Every family is different. Every situation is different. I mean, where I have again, I'm grown up in a very warm nest. Uh, my parents were were married for 55 years with ups and downs. There is no uh, there is no secret there. But still, they stayed together, and and it, it, uh, that that surely helped me of not being broken in a certain way or or having tough times when I'm very young. So that helps me maybe to become more an optimist. Uh, or to be a little bit more open to other things. So again, you know, I mean, I was, uh, I was lucky, and so what is my task now? I have three children, I have to try to make sure that they have also the youth that they have being far away from the company, having their life, but in a normal, as normal as possible way, so that they mm. an, uh, understand the world, understand how things go, but also understand values. And if then, you know, they can also understand when what role they have to play what day within the company, whatever that role is, even if it's no role, I mean, I can clearly accept that. You know, I mean, that's, I think, what we should do. So if we do that right, I think we're doing well as a family-owned company. But that doesn't mean, again, that, that for me, listed companies or whatever are always bad. You know, you have great examples of wealth. And then it's more about the leader sitting there. You know I mean? If the leader who leads that company also has a long-term view and can fight against these quarter results to bring results in five years down the road, and then it, these companies can be fantastic as well. So I have respect for these as well. But I'm I'm glad and, and I feel of course more acquainted to family owned businesses and but but I again I respect both.
0: Amazing. I mean you know I think I think this is why I like doing this shit so much, this this podcast. <laughs> you know, we for me you know I, I i came into this into this episode excited because i was going to talk to the guy behind one of my favorite cigars <laughs> but i've come out of this learning about life you know and 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 for me this is so fulfilling and so enriching uh, i have to say i mean you know thank you so much uh, for for the time for the words and and also just for explaining your your perception and your perspective on on not only life but also more precisely you know working and and running a family-owned business and you know working on relationships but also what i find very very fascinating is your value on traditional family morals ethics and and values you know i think I i think that's something i'm growing to be more and more appreciative of you know, I was brought up in a in a kind of similar environment. Um, you know, I, I had a, a loving mother and a and a loving father who doesn't give me any cigars, but no problem. You know, not everything is uh, not everything is perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he learned, you know, and, that that they are expensive. You know, so if you yeah, would exactly. get them for
1: free, maybe you would think like uh, you know, they're is, not valuable. This is
0: very, this is very true, but I'm over here you know, paying these crazy prices and he bought them for pennies and he still won't give them to me. But listen, we can go on about this all day. You know, I'm very bitter, as you can tell. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, for me, it's like, I, I do believe that there is an element of trauma when you're growing up in a, in a broken environment. And I think it makes things a lot very, very difficult in life. It makes it difficult to become an optimist. It makes it difficult to see opportunities as they are at face value. It also makes it difficult to become an effective problem solver, in my opinion. If you're around, you know, there's these traumatic experiences, this, is, this can fuck anyone up. This is not an ideal situation to grow up in. This is not an environment that encourages creative thinking and individuality, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I really understand that and I I, I really appreciate that you kind of you know talking about that and hammering that home because you know I I have to say regardless of the successes that you guys have had as a family it's extraordinarily uh, admirable that you have been able to you know be very persistent and, and very focused on the idea of maintaining those family values and doing something which I think very few people are able to do Uh, effectively and consistently is take those family values and implement that in the world of business you know I cannot tell you how many people who have traditional family values but operate their business like a sweatshop you know this is this is not a great you know this this is like the worst version of capitalism uh, as far as I'm concerned so for, for me I have a great deal of respect for what you're doing I truly do and i i know from now on any or leave a cigar i pick up and i smoke the amount of the 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 amount of appreciation i have for that will go, will go up tenfold uh, so for me truly from my heart i really mean this thank you so much for your time today fredit you know it it really means a lot to me i've i've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the conversation
1: thank you omar vice versa and just maybe one end note after hearing what you said i said like and that's, I think, what we, I mean, at least the two of us who have the luck to have been grown up in such a families, I mean, we can make sure that in, within our family we try to do the same for our kids. But also when you have when you feel, when you know when you meet people who didn't have that luck, you know, I mean, giving them an, an extra chance, you know, I mean, to pick up and to, to try to really to turn that page and to see the life as, as we were maybe grown up to see it is for me very, very important because I truly believe that also there is some strength in there. and Because I think the strongest people are, I meet are people who maybe had that traumatic, like you say, kind of experience, but who stood up and who stand up and who are now like, wow, I mean, smashing it, you know, I mean, in a great way. It's the resilience. And the resilience to it. And that's, oh my God, I often, I, I really look up to, uh, to everybody over there. Doing such and such a thing, so no. But thank you, Omar. I mean, it was an honor and, and a pleasure to to meet you. Congratulations with what you you have been building up out of passion, and uh, and and it's really, really, truly amazing what you're doing and, and how you uh, yeah give us the opportunity as well to tell our story. So uh, so it's really appreciated, uh, and and I'm very very happy and glad that I could uh, could join uh, on your amazing podcast. So when I'm on my bicycle alone. And I drive from the factory back home, which is around two hours. This is a perfect time of no more podcasts. So uh, I will enjoy that much more as well
0: in the future. Thank you so much, Fred.
1: Thank you.